Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is June the 15th, 2022. We haven't done any shows on gun violence, partially because it's such a terribly miserable subject and it's hard to put what has happened into words, but it needs to be done. Uh, it's been in the news quite a lot recently after, of course, the Texas shooting, 19 children dead in the primary school attack. Um, much news about uh, the role of the police or the lack of the role of the police and the people involved is there aren't really words to describe it. You could use the word nightmare. It's worse than a nightmare, as, uh, as somebody uh, wrote on Slate. Words aren't enough to convey the brutality of gun violence, particularly in terms of uh, the shooting of, of children. It's, it's, it's just beyond any kind of reason. Um, but the world has to go on, and we need to figure out how we're going to confront this. Lots of different ideas. Philadelphia, for example, today announced 100 cameras near schools to curb gun violence. Um, the gun violence issue certainly affected a lot of the midterms. I'm not entirely sure how or why yet, but that will come through. Uh, there is, of course, good news from the Senate. The Senate has reached a framework for legislation addressing gun violence a few days ago. That is something to applaud, but even the, even so, it's not entirely clear how it's going to work out politically. Uh, according to the Times, uh, the two parties are are parting ways on on, a, on on the reach of a gun bill. Surprise, surprise! And it shouldn't be any surprise that the Senate gun deal is likely to face pushback from the House GOP, which again isn't surprising. The NRA has such power over the House GOP in particular. The NRA apparently, according to Fox News, I'm not sure how reliable they are, encourages real solutions to stop violence. There's, their use of language is, uh, is, 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 is disturbing and one wonders what real solutions are. We did a show a couple of years ago uh, with Frank Smythe on the NRA and the potential for pandemic violence. Uh, Frank is the author of the NRA, The Unauthorized History, and I thought it would be good to catch up with Frank again. Uh, he's talking to us from Washington, D.C. Frank, should we be in any way encouraged with this supposed deal coming out of Senate, or is it just window dressing? It's a little more than window dressing because it's the first time in decades that it seems possible that the gun people in favor of gun reform and the Democrats will be able to pass at least possibly some legislation. And it's a baby step. In the bigger picture, it's marginal at best. But part of one of the measures that could pass would be to raise the law for 21 to be able to buy semi-automatic rifles like AR-15 rifles. That may end up staying in the bill, and it could pass. We're not sure yet. But what this also shows is that despite the rising level of gun carnage in the United States reaching epic proportions, 
where now gun violence is the leading cause of death for young people in, in an advanced nation. That is amazing. We have war level deaths here, gun trauma on major levels in hospitals and ER units throughout cities throughout the country. And uh, and there's nothing, it seems, that we can do to, to any meaningful measures that could be passed to stop it, at least in the near term. And what it shows is that the power of the NRA is one thing, but the ideology that the NRA and the gun industry, and now I would include in the gun lobby, the NRA, the gun industry, and the Heritage Foundation, as it's a Heritage Foundation official who was leading the charge in terms of testimony in the House and the Senate uh, on gun on gun policy, and the Democrats have not called any witnesses to any expert witnesses to rebut uh, those charges. Uh, Frank, tell me a little bit more about this Heritage Foundation. I don't know that much about it. How powerful they are, and how central they are in pushing back on any regulation on on guns how powerful they are is not my concern what 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 i think is important is the heritage foundation has an expert that they're paying and that has now become the leading expert uh in uh pro-gun expert in the united states that's a very important role it's much more important because for the credibility of the of the gun movement to have someone who's not in the nra because the nra is taking hits for credible charges of embezzlement that originated with Oliver North. So to have someone outside the NRA making these claims adds credence uh, to their alleged uh, uh, truthfulness or accuracy, even though, in my opinion, uh, everything that the Heritage Foundation official is saying isn't either either wrong or really quite misleading. Uh, This is the same official who Representative Porter accused of perjury last week, which uh, whether or not it was perjury uh, is a legal question, but certainly what she said was was incredibly misleading, saying that a, a bill that had, that had been put forth for an assault weapons ban, which I personally don't even support, but nonetheless said that that people who had who already owned guns wouldn't be affected by it. And this individual, the Heritage Foundation official, Amy Swear, uh, said, well, it would make felons out of millions of Americans, and that's for not true. Frank, uh, as I said, you, you were on the show a couple of years ago. We talked about uh, the persistent myths of the NRA and the potential for pandemic violence, of course, that actually happened. And what what you just described and all this gun violence is is is, is another form of pandemic. Um, you also uh, wrote something for Let Hub a couple of years ago uh, entitled Once Upon a Time, the NRA stood up to the gun industry. Your book spends a lot of time talking, writing, analyzing Wayne Lapierre. He's been in the news recently, the current CEO of the NRA. Again, sort of using language to take no responsibility. What has happened in the last couple of years on the NRA front and Lapierre? Is, uh, Lapierre has anything changed or is the NRA and Lapierre the same today as they were a couple of years ago when we spoke? No, both the NRA and Lapierre are weaker and have had have taken hits uh, over these charges of massive, massive embezzlement that originated with Oliver North and that broke in 2019. In 2018, the NRA board with, with Lapierre's support uh, and the board and Lapierre have been quite close for a while, right, with very few rifts, though some, uh, realized that after the Parkland shooting, the NRA needed a strong voice to assume the role of the presidency. The presidency is in the NRA. It's really the chairman of the NRA board. 
the president is elected for one or one year term and traditionally reelected for a two year term. So in 2018, the NRA board said we need a strong voice. So we're going to pick Oliver North, the of Iran Contra fame, the Reagan era official whose whose right wing credentials and his pro gun credentials are are unassailable within within the gun community. But Oliver North took a little while for him to get his affairs in order and take over. But once he did, he started looking at the NRA's books. Now, why did he do that? I'm not sure. But it seems that Oliver North thought that that was part of his duties as the president, part of his fiduciary duties to just take a look and make sure everything's up and up now that he's in charge. That would be part of his fiduciary duties. But it seemed that no prior president ever exercised uh, that 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 perspective. And when he looked at the books, he realized that there was something highly irregular, all sorts of what he called what were listed as ex excessive spending by LaPierre and members of his staff. So in uh, the next NRA annual meeting in the spring of 2019, Oliver North gave L Wayne LaPierre an ultimatum. You either resign or I'm going to leak it to the, to the press. They both ended up leaking a story to the Wall Street Journal that broke right before the start of the NRA convention during the NRA country concert at the Eight Second Saloon in Indianapolis. And I was there and I saw NRA uh, mid-level staffers all looking at their phones and talking to each other and getting on the phone because it just broke in the Wall Street Journal sometime after five o'clock or so uh, that, uh, that this embezzlement scandal was, was blowing up inside the organization. Since then, this has seriously damaged the credibility of the NRA and the credibility of Wayne LaPierre. It also formed the basis of the New York Attorney General complaint filed by Leticia James, which is set to come to trial sometime later this year. It could be delayed into, into 2020. Right, I, I wanted to talk about that, actually, uh, the, the lawsuit. Uh, the, the news from J June the 10th is that um, this lawsuit against the NRA in New York can move forward. That's right. The NRA's tried a number of different legal machinations to have this loot dismissed, including filing a folk, a bogus, a bogus, excuse me, a bogus uh, attempt to file for bankruptcy in Texas, which was just a ruse to escape uh, the lawsuit. That was, none of the none of those uh, tr uh, maneuvers worked. So the NRA is going to face this lawsuit. I believe this lawsuit is going to eviscerate the NRA. The evidence is already overwhelming and quite credible. And testimony that's already come out in Dallas as a result of the attempted bankruptcy filing confirms some of the allegations by LaPierre himself. And I think what's going to happen, uh, Leticia James says her goal is to dissolve the NRA. I don't think she would succeed in doing that. And I've said that before on NPR and elsewhere. But I do believe the NRA itself is setting itself up to dissolve the NRA themselves, to say this organization can no longer function in the allegedly oppressive environment in New York State. And the NRA then will then voluntarily re start a new organization with a new federal tax number and take whatever assets they can. Yeah, the last time we talked, Frank, you warned that there were forces, individuals, ideas to the, the right of the NRA, which are actually even more terrifying than the NRA, which for better or worse remains a mainstream right-wing organization. Have those forces grown over the last couple of years? Absolutely. What you saw on January 6th was those forces growing and acting. And the NRA has always tried to support gun rights and ignored the fact that there were white power groups 
white nationalists, white supremacists, neo-Nazis, neo-Confederates within the broad big uh, pro-gun uh, coalition. But uh, the NRA has tried to keep them at least since 1995 when they when they were on the floor of the NRA convention after the, after the Oklahoma City bombing off the floor and out of the organization. Now, as the NRA is waning, other groups are filling in to, to, uh, to take the gap. One of them is Hunter Nation, whose face now is Ted Nugent, who resigned from the NRA board last year to, to become the face of this organization. Hunter Nation is a right-wing uh, hunting gun rights group. Its mission seems very clear and garbled, but it seems like its main purpose was to be an alternative to the NRA. The 3% of militia groups that don't call themselves militias, but in fact are, are another group uh, or, or, or amalgam of groups that fall into this category, as well as blatantly explicit, uh, extreme, more extremist groups like Oath Keepers, uh, uh, the Proud Boys and others, as well as uh, white power groups, as well as Gun Motors of America, <laughs> excuse me, which is the NRA's strongest rival and has been since the 70s. Gun Owners of America has collaborated with white nationalists in the past, as Leonard Seskind established in, the, in Rolling Stone magazine some years ago. And these are, and this organization is growing as well to fill the gap. So, it's, so it's Frank, um, you know, you know as much about this as anyone, and you're a very brave man to come and talk so publicly. I'm, I'm sure you get lots of threats. Um, should we be celebrating then this? perhaps crisis of the NRA, or perhaps it's something that we should be wary about since it seems to have unleashed even darker, more dangerous and, and un unaccountable forces. Some people, a lot of people in the gun reform movement have celebrated the demise of the NRA. I certainly understand that. The NRA has been the strongest vanguard of the gun lobby and is responsible more than any other group for the ideology that is obstructing uh, gun reform in years past and today, but I wouldn't take too much comfort in the NRA's demise because the ideology that the NRA and the gun industry helped generate is now stronger than ever and pulsing through the nation. The NRA never spoke at either party's national convention until an NRA representative spoke in Cleveland in 2016 at the RNC, the Republican National Convention, the same one that nominated Trump president. So now, the ideology of gun rights is fully ingrained into the Republican Party. It was somewhat on off-center stage before. Now it is it is center right next to abortion as a main plank of the Republican Party. And this will continue even if the NRA is dissolved within a year or two, which I think is likely. So this is, if anything, a more dangerous situation than no one should take uh, too much comfort in the NRA's demise. Frank, uh, surprise, surprise, Donald Trump recently uh, late last month, rejected gun regulation and as a bizarre way of establishing school safety. Um, I guess Trump is one of the, the figures encouraging the far-right cult of violence, is he? Oh, absolutely. And he's been doing that since, uh, uh, since at least uh, Charlottesville, the the Unite Unite the Right rally in 2017. Well, back to um, Central Park. I mean, in many ways. Yeah. Well, yes, including including his racist comments about that about that uh, case as well. Uh, but this this group, the the Trumpist movement, is the NRA is part of the Trumpist movement, but they are not major players anymore in the Trumpist movement. They were major players to help get 
Trump elected in 2016. But very quickly, these other groups, these more militant groups, these more openly uh, groups that are more openly uh, inclined toward violence and that preach violence are much more front and center uh, in Trumpism. And the gun rights movement, which has always had uh, white power elements in it, is now a much more radical uh, uh, movement than it was just, just three or four years ago. What about the threat of civil war, um, Frank? We've done shows about this. Stephen Marsh, the Canadian writer, believes America is already involved in a civil war. Uh, more and more violence, more and more threats of violence. What, what you're describing to me is, is, is profoundly chilling. Um, and it, and it, it seems be. to suggest that uh, that Marsh is right, that America is already in civil war and there are all these armed fanatics ready to unleash their violence. I, I concur with that basic view. There's another scholar who talked about how uh, what she's expecting is uh, what the kind of violence, uh, sectar- the sort of sectarian violence attacking each other's civilian supporters, suspected supporters of the other side that you've seen that I've seen personally in Colombia, as well as in Northern Ireland, that kind of violence could start occurring in the United States. And we're seeing indications of that, including the individual found near uh, Brent Kavanaugh, the justice's home, the Supreme Court justice's home uh, with the rifle who then uh, uh, called off his plan to assassinate him. It can come from either side, but I think the armed right is using gun rights in part as a way to get ready and arm up to either uh, defend Trump if he were to get back in power and to keep him there, or mm-hmm. if Trump were to if Trump were to run and lose the 2024 election, or another Trumpist candidate like DeSantos, perhaps that the armed right would then rise up and and try an attempted coup, uh, but this time with much more organization, with arms, with uh, with perhaps explosives and other weapons, in order to try and put Trump or another Trumpist candidate in power. I don't think that is so far off it sounds crazy to even say that in the united states but you know i have covered conflicts on on several continents and been embedded with uh with combatants uh in in many of those continents on several continents and i the signs i'm seeing the indications i'm seeing all the things that we look to is this country moving toward a civil war when it's outside the country in the united states all those indicators check all those boxes and it seems like this momentum is more likely to continue uh, than than abate, and uh, it makes me it gives me pause, concern. Well, concern, Frank. I don't, I don't know. I think there are there are stronger words than that. And the really <laughs> chilling thing is that none of what you're saying is unrealistic. I, I think you you may well be right. Give me a a sociological description. I mean, how mainstream have the the proud boys and these types of groups become they're always crazies they're always fanatics they're always people obsessed with violence and want to kill people but how how much has this ideology infiltrated mainstream and it's mostly i guess white working class rural culture the best example of the degree to which this this gun rights and extremist gun rights, uh, what the NRA is called absolutist, but I would call extremist gun rights ideology has infiltrated the mainstream is to look no further than the Republican Party. Comments by Marjorie Taylor Greene and, and Lauren Boebert, 
uh, certainly fit into this. But other comments by people like Senator Ted Cruz and in particular Senator Josh Hawley are, are, are fit right into this, this notion. And one of, the, one of the things that they're putting forth out there is the notion of the slippery slope. Well, we can't have even, even slightly, uh, even seemingly benign measures like background checks pass because, you know, background checks wouldn't work without gun registration, without knowing who bought the gun and, and who it's registered to. So we really know that background checks are really a slippery slope to first gun registration. And everybody knows that gun registration is a slippery slope to disarmament and then, and then ultimately genocide. This is a complete bogus crock of crap, right? This is fake history. And it's rooted, the one example that, 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 that anybody in the gun movement is familiar with, but that it's rarely said out loud because the people like Hawley and Cruz know they're on very thin ice if they try to make this point publicly. But the, the point that the, 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 the case they point to is the Holocaust. And they falsely claim that gun control enabled the Holocaust. Not a word of this is true. German and European Jews had no tradition of gun ownership or armed resistance. And a book that the NRA helped fund, Gun Control in the Third Reich, the author on page 181 of a 220-page book admits that he couldn't find the records he needs to prove his case, that the only records he found uh, were of Nazis seizing the antique weapons and thrusting weapons uh, uh, from Jews and very few actual functioning uh, firearms. Um, and this, the author, the NRA-funded author, man named Stephen Hallbrook, who's really quite well known in, uh, in Congress and, and, and elsewhere, he, uh, he says in the book, well, the, those records might have been destroyed in Allied bombing or by the Nazis themselves, which is simply not credible because every known aspect of the Holocaust, the entire record seemed to survive intact as the Nazis kept meticulous records and, and preserved them. So the notion that these records somehow were the only records that didn't survive is just laughable. Frank, it doesn't matter because so many people believe it. And Hawley referenced this, the notion of the slippery slope, and so does Cruz, without mentioning the evidence. And so far, the Democrats and gun reformers and the press haven't had the courage, haven't mustered the, uh, the wherewithal to challenge them. Oh, the slippery slope, what's your evidence for that? That's what needs to start happening. And so far... Uh, the Democrats have taken another approach, which I think is uh, leading them repeatedly to failure. Again, to, to put it mildly, uh, and failure on this front is unimaginable. Uh, Frank, what about the law enforcement agencies? You talk to a lot of people within the CIA um, and, and within the FBI how and the military. Uh, I had uh, Mark Esper on the show last month. And I've always thought that it was his ultimate willingness to stand up to Trump that um, that was the real reason why there wasn't a coup. Um, what are your contacts in the military saying about this? How aware are they? How fearful are they? Or, well, or, or has this, what you call this, you know, this gun fanaticism, has it infiltrated the FBI and the military? I don't think it's infiltrated the FBI or the agency, but it, to the way it gets infiltrated the ranks of the Pentagon, uh, it remains unclear. I don't think it's had that much influence. But what you have to remember is that, Andrew, is that in the United States, the Constitution is written that the military must stay out of domestic affairs. So in theory, 
the notion that that some militias armed with AR-15s could somehow take on the military and overthrow the government seems ridiculous because they the military would have tanks and can't and uh, and light anti-tank weapons and air support and artillery and all the things that you see uh, in Ukraine, so they wouldn't stand a chance. But since the military in the United States seems prescribed by the Constitution not to intervene. In any kind of in any kind of dispute, it seems like the, the military would be divided over whether to intervene or not, which could set up a situation of total chaos. So, if there was a January sixth movement, but with a much more organized effort, with arm with with live ammunition, and not just some people carrying arms, but but people carrying arms, they'd be fighting DC DC police, Capitol police, and that kind of thing. But would the, would the military intervene? I'm not sure. And if they did, there might be different groups that would intervene on either side. So it's not clear to me. This is something that needs to be, be discussed and reported. How would the military respond? What would be the constitutional duty of the commanders in the Pentagon to respond or not? And that would be very much specific on, on the evidence at the time. And I'm sure there would be different interpretations. And if you if it, something were to go to the Supreme Court with this Supreme Court, right, the post-Trump Roberts Court, I'm not sure anyone uh, could predict where where that they might lead. Meanwhile, Frank, um, what are the progressives doing? Well, one thing they're doing in Hollywood is that they're signing a pledge about on-screen guns. Obviously, a joke. Um, <laughs> what should normal people do on this? I mean, not Hollywood celebrities, but people watching this and are just utterly horrified and terrified. Well, read up on read up on the issue. I'm, I must say, the, uh, the the Democrats and the gun reform movement and a lot of activists don't seem very few of them seem to understand the history of gun control in the United States, and I think that is very important because the NRA took no position. On, on gun policy for 50 years. And they raised some flags about concerns about gun rights in 1922 for the first time, both abroad for after the Bolshevik Revolution that turned Russia into the Soviet Union, the communist takeover, and uh, the 1911 New York state law that now may be overturned by the Supreme Court. Um, but the NRA, after that, uh, due to due to the the, the crime the the crimes and 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 violence of, that came about from prohibition with the gangster days of Al Capone in 1934 the NRA supported the uh, the, the National Firearms Act which established a wholesale mechanism to regulate guns from the manufacturers to uh, to the retailers and which outlawed fully automatic weapons Tommy guns being the target but all fully automatic weapons. And that is a is something that the, the the NRA and the gun rights movement seem to be content. Some say they want to overthrow it, but content with that law, with that that wholesale system, because that seems to work for them. But in the United States since then, we are the only advanced nation in the world that does not regulate on a national level retail or consumer firearm sales. So people need to get educated and start talking about this, not in terms of the Second Amendment and liberty and all these things that that people on the right say and nobody's really sure what it all means but start saying why are we the only advanced nation that doesn't regulate retail firearm sales because that is why we have 25 times more gun violence than other advanced nations on average 
And um, and when you have the, the testimony like today in the Senate and earlier in the House, the testimony tends to there's an attempt to deflect away from this easy access to guns, the lack of retail firearms regulation, which leads to these problems. There's an attempt to talk about everything else but and the Democrats seem somewhat to buy into that. And the Democrats, too, the, the notion of an assault weapons ban, you know, you and I may disagree. A lot of people um, that interview me disagree. But I think the assault, a new assault weapons ban is a bad idea. I think it would pull, further polarize the nation severely. I think uh, it doesn't take into account how much the temporary assault weapons ban from 1994 to 2004 ended up being an utter failure, even though it had some marginal success at the time. And I think people also need to keep in mind, 70% of mass shooters, active shooters in the nation, bought their gun legally and recently. So it's not the, the 200 million weapons and the 20 million AR-15s in circulation in civilian hands now that are necessarily causing our gun violence. It's the new gun purchases that are then, like in Chicago, 66% of guns seized in crimes come from out of state. It's new guns bought in states with weak gun laws, trafficked in the states with strong gun laws that is fueling gun violence throughout the nation and also trafficked in Mexico and Central America and the Caribbean. At the same time that it's these new gun sales that are enabling uh, people like like the, the shooter in Uvalde killing 19 children and 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 two teachers on his after his 18th birthday to buy himself two semi-automatic rifles and go to town. So there are I there I don't think the assault weapon the, the Democrats keep trying to think we got to pass something so we don't look completely hapless. And I think it's time for a long-term plan. The problem is the long-term plan is about 10 15 uh, years out of behind the eight ball. And I loudly, uh, Frank, finally, we did a show with Sasha Eisenberg. He's the author of a book called The Engagement, America's Quarter Century Struggle Over Same-Sex Marriage. It's about how same-sex marriage went from being unthinkable to being mainstream. And we talk, he's not a gun control person, but he suggested that if America can accept same-sex marriage, then it can accept anything, even the possibility of gun control. You're not the most optimistic of people, but <laughs> where, if anywhere, is your optimism? How can we address this? Otherwise, we might as well. I mean, the more I talk to guys like you, I just think, well, I'm just going to leave this country. I don't want to be here. It's not worth it. Look, I'm, uh, I'm an optimist by nature. I really am. Uh, you don't yeah. look like one. I know. I, know. I don't act like one, but I am, and I and I have been all my life. I really believe that uh, that pe that change is possible, and that good people can get together, and uh, through hard work, dedication, and perseverance, that they can achieve things. And the civil rights movement is an example of that, right? And there are others as well. Um, I think we could get to a point where we could have reasonable gun control, but I think we are we are unfortunately years away from that. And what I am concerned is whether we're going to get through the period from now until the start of 2025. I think this is going to be a potentially more violent period than anything we've seen in the United States since, since uh, at least Reconstruction, if not the Civil War, going way beyond what we saw on January 6th. And I think it's incredibly volatile. And I think the one thing that Biden can do and should do uh, now 
is uh, though I'm not sure he's going to do that is once they realize that they're going to pass, you know, maybe they'll get one measure passed, one marginal measure, important, but just still marginal in the bigger picture, is that Biden needs to think about appointing a commission to investigate gun violence and to investigate the history of gun reform in the United States, since everybody seems to be quite clueless about this, and ask, how did we end up getting to the point where we are? How is it that we got together in the 1930s and found a solution to the problem raised by the, the gun violence that arose during prohibition? And how is it that we've still found ways to have gun ownership and gun regulations to be compatible right up through until the 1970s? Why all that changed in the 70s and, and led by the NRA and other groups and the gun industry? And, uh, and, ha and how is it that that for the past 50 years, I would argue that the Dem that the, the NRA and the gun lobby and now the Heritage Foundation have won almost every meaningful battle, at least in terms of its long-term significance. The Democrats and reformers have passed some uh, modest measures. The latest one was outlawing bump stocks, which converts a semi-automatic rifle into a slow-firing, fully automatic weapon. It's crude and it doesn't unreliable, but it does that. Uh, that was used in Las Vegas, the, the worst shooting in, the, in American history uh, since um, since uh, since uh, on bended knee, um, or wounded knee, excuse me, uh, uh, in, back in the 1890s, right? Um, so I, I think there's, I think there's, I, I think that's what Biden needs to do, to look at the history here and how we got here, because what I think everybody wants a short-term solution at least in terms of uh, in terms of gun reform in the Democrats, and they're not going to get one. It's time to realize, you know what? We have failed, and we have failed for more than a half century. Now, the gun reform people, a lot of who are uh, many of my friends who I respect, and I know parents and survivors of these shootings. I, I want. I'm with them, but I'm not a cheerleader. I'm a journalist, and we keep hit, banging our head against the wall and getting nowhere. And it's time to ask why. I couldn't have put it better myself. Well, very few people can. Uh, Frank Smythe's book, The NRA, The Unauthorized History, is still important reading, even if the NRA seems to be being replaced by even more chilling forces. Frank, uh, in addition to your NRA, The Unauthorized History, what else should people be reading? Maybe oh. uh, something a bit more cheerful. What are you well, reading? I, you know, there's a new book by Ryan Boosie out that I haven't read yet, which is quite interesting uh, in terms of the gun industry. I, there's an article in The Atlantic now that I maybe, maybe sums up what his main findings are. I don't agree with all of it, but it's certainly illuminating. He points out that the 2005 uh, act that protected gun manufacturers really had a bigger impact than I realized. Tim Mack's book, The NPR Reporter on the Embezzlement Scandal, is just uh, shows you how decadent and corrupt uh, and 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 self-serving that Wayne Lapierre and the leadership of the NRA have been. Uh, I you know I would I would encourage people to read that. Um, I'm not sure beyond that. I mean they could do their own research and try and understand the history of of gun control. But the problem, Andrew, is that the gun lobby, led by the NRA but not limited to it, has dominated the conversation in the United States for so long that we don't even have the language to talk about gun violence. We talk about the Second Amendment, not, gee, why don't we regulate, why are we the only nation that doesn't regulate retail gun sales? You know, that's that's the problem. 
and we talk about measures that that for the most part, even if they were all were to pass tomorrow, better background checks, red flag laws, anti-violence measures, all the things that 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 have some bipartisan support, even if they all were to pass tomorrow, even though Republicans oppose a lot of them, nonetheless, they would somehow seem to have bipartisan. Even if that all passed tomorrow, it wouldn't add up uh, to curb our, to, to, mark, to, to seriously curb our gun violence and bring it down so we're not 25 times uh, more of gun violence than other advanced nations. So we're, you know, somewhere like half of that. It would be, it would be, it would be Nick Kristoff. I was on a podcast with him. He said, he said, maybe he could bring it down by a third. I don't even think that's true. The question I want to know is, and I want people to ask, why don't we talk about the one measure that 50 years ago, President Johnson said would work that last year, Josh Hawley, Senator Hawley during a hearing and, and, and a banter back and forth with the Heritage Foundation official, Amy Swearer, he said, well, we know that background checks wouldn't work with gun registration, but with gun registration, they would work. So why is it that we don't talk about the one thing that people on both sides have said, even though the Democrats today seem afraid of it, national gun registration, that actually would work? How did we end up there? That is what I think is, is interesting. And my writing now is, is looking at answering that question.